Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. In each episode, I will offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will support both your practice and your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. But in this episode, I won't be talking about yin yoga, Chinese medicine, or meditation at all. Instead, I'll be talking about the artist behind the music featured in this podcast, the great jazz pianist Aaron Goldberg. I've known Aaron since we were in high school together over 25 years ago, and the intervening 25 years I've watched and listened with amazement as he has gone on to become one of the greatest jazz pianists alive. And if you listen carefully here to my special Ode to Aaron, you might just hear some lessons for your own yoga and meditation practice as well. So let's get started. Okay, so when I first conceived of this podcast, I knew I'd be faced with a tricky issue of having to come up with some sort of music for the intro and outro of the podcast. Most podcasts have a kind of stock music in the beginning, which I usually find grating and tedious at best, and I just knew that stock music would not capture the essence of this podcast entitled Everyday Sublime. But I also knew that real music would come at a significant cost, particularly for licensing fees. So I was in a bit of a pickle, and I felt hesitant to ask my old friend Aaron Goldberg for permission to use his music, because he is now one of the top performing jazz artists alive, and he might undoubtedly have had reservations about how his music would be used. Nevertheless, I reached out to him and asked if he'd be willing to let me use a portion of one of his songs for the intro and outro, and he wrote back almost immediately with his blessing to use any of his music. This level of generosity simply blew me away, and in some ways, it was that moment when I knew that I'd be able to use his version of the song, Lambada de Serpente, that I knew the podcast was going to come together. So in this special episode, I want to take time to talk about Aaron and his music, and why I'm inspired by both his music and by jazz artists in general. As I mentioned at the beginning, Aaron and I spent some time together in high school, Midway through high school, I transferred to Milton Academy, a small private school south of Boston. And in the jazz combo at Milton, I met Aaron along with some other aspiring jazz musicians. Our jazz teacher was Mr. Bob Sinecrope, who was a math teacher at the time in the process of becoming one of the best high school jazz educators in the country. Bob Sinecrope has recently been awarded the great distinction of Jazz Educator of the Year by the Jazz Educators Network and Aaron Goldberg is undoubtedly one of his most famous students. When I think back to that time, two of the things that I remember most clearly from classes with Bob Sinecrope were the importance of really listening to music a lot. He just instilled in us the idea that we had to fully immerse ourselves in a song or in a jazz musician's body of work to fully understand it and integrate it into our own playing. 
And also, Bob Sinecrope had a tremendous commitment to authenticity in the way you would play jazz and improvise. Short anecdote to give you a sense of this. Back then, I was a sax player in the combo, and I remember a session where I was taking a solo over Herbie Hancock's tune, Watermelon Man. And Sinecrope stopped us midway in, one, in the middle of one of my courses, and he looked straight at me and asked, Josh, do you know why a male dog will lick his balls? And I was so taken aback, I didn't even know what to say. I know I blushed and started to stammer. But Bob Sinecrope simply answered, The dog licks his balls because he can. And just because you can play a lot of notes fast doesn't mean you should. <laughs> that lesson has stayed with me ever since. Hearing that story now, you might think of our teacher, Mr. Sinecrope, was a prototype for that manipulative jazz teacher featured in the movie Whiplash. But nothing is further from the truth. Sinecrope taught us with a selfless dedication to jazz and to his students' well-being that has been really a model of ed great education for me ever since. And as I've listened to Aaron Goldberg, his protege, develop over the years, I hear in Aaron an artist that has deeply internalized and refined those two lessons of deep listening and authentic, no-bullshit playing. During high school, Aaron was a very good jazz pianist, but it was only in taking a year off between high school and college, something called a gap year, when he went to the new school in New York City, it was then that he really started to grow into a talented force on the piano. And I remember hearing a gig sometime after that year in New York. I could not believe the quantum leap in talent that Aaron had taken. He could swing so hard. He, could, he had flawless time and had developed what jazz musicians call amazing chops, all far beyond his 17 or 18 years of age. And I remember asking him then how he felt he had made such a dramatic jump in talent. And his response was similar to the advice that we had received from our teacher, Bob Sinecrope. He said he listened to jazz all the time. He played with as many musicians as he could find. And one thing that he said, and I still remember it, is that he committed to practicing piano for five minutes every day. He said that if he sat down with the intention of practicing for some huge, long stretch of time, like four hours, he might never, ever sit down to play or practice. But if he could convince himself to commit to just five minutes, then soon those five minutes would turn into two or three or four hours. And for me, that's always been a valuable lesson whenever I find myself locked in the jaws of procrastination. I try to remind myself of Aaron's five-minute rule. Just get down and do it for five minutes, whether it's a pose in a yoga practice or five minutes in a meditation session or five minutes of composing an article or a blog. Just do five minutes and see what happens. Now, recently I had the great pleasure of interviewing Aaron for Meaning of Life TV. And in that interview, Aaron talks quite a bit about his early career and his development as an artist. If you're interested, I encourage you to check out that interview, which will be linked below the podcast on my website. But right now, I'd like to try to talk about why I find Aaron's music so compelling and why I think as meditators and yogis, it's not a bad idea for us to try to stretch our own capacity for hearing and improvising. As much as I like many different kinds of music, I've always found jazz in particular, but also to some degree classical music as well. But jazz is able to touch upon a complexity of human emotion in which, in a way that pop music just doesn't seem quite able to do. 
at least for me that is. In some sense, the basic repertoire of pop music has either happy songs, heartbreak songs, or even just angry songs. And of course, that's a very broad generalization. But in the genre of jazz, very frequently a song contains a mixture or a blending of an entirely different emotional range outside of what you'll normally get in a, in a traditional pop song. Take, for example, the song featured in this podcast, which is from Aaron Goldberg's album, Worlds. The name of the song is Lambada de Serpente, and it's a cover of a Brazilian pop song by the artist Javan. When I first heard Aaron's trio play this for the first time live, and then later on the recording Worlds, I remember feeling a complex jumble of different emotional tones all at once or simultaneously. There was great joy, a sense of redemption that built through the song, a kind of bright happiness. But also, in the middle of all of that, there was a lingering melancholy and a kind of sadness for a loss of something that I didn't even know I had lost. There's this tender, plaintive, aching quality to the melody that somehow joyously haunts one. And it's that complexity that always brings me back to Aaron's music, as well as to all of the great jazz masters. In listening to their personalities and their deep emotional range, I find that I'm invited into a process of self-exploration and self-discovery that is truly unique to the idiom of jazz. In another example, on his album called Home, Aaron plays a cover of the Stevie Wonder hit, Isn't She Lovely? The song begins at breakneck speed, and unless you know the chord progression, for several minutes you'll find nothing recognizable of the Stevie Wonder song. And while listening to the opening, I always had the feeling that I've been abducted by a band of wild thieves and tossed in the back of a runaway pickup truck, hands and feet tied as the truck barrels down some country road while I try to hold on for dear life. And then suddenly, amidst this chaos, it breaks. And the familiar chorus of the tune opens up. And there, Aaron on piano belts out the familiar melodic line of, Isn't she lovely? And I see Stevie smiling and hear him singing along with Aaron in my imagination. And for a few moments, there's this order and safety in this capricious world. But just as I catch my breath and feel a sense of relief, the chorus is gone. It vanishes. And the chaos flashes afresh with lightning rhythm and breathtaking improvisation, taking me down that unpaved road, bouncing along in the truck again. And that's the kind of juxtaposition that I find really compelling in jazz. The chaos and out-of-control danger juxtaposed against the safety and familiarity of melody, which reminds me of my own tensions in life, tensions between seeking safety and security in the midst of a world that is anything but certain and safe. And perhaps that's where the jazz artist's skills of improvisation have always been so inspiring to me. A good jazz musician is able to skillfully navigate change, uncertainty, and very challenging terrain. Of course, jazz musicians train to become masters of their instrument. They master technique, they master rhythm, they develop the vocabulary and language of jazz. But when it comes time to play, when they're actually performing, very little of what they create during the performance is predetermined or given. Yes, of course, they play within a certain confined scope and boundary of a tune. They play within a certain melodic structure and chord progression and an agreed-upon tempo from the beginning. But from there, the nuance of conversation between jazz musicians is always spontaneous. It's always adaptive 
and generated live on the spot. As a listener, I think it takes time to appreciate the kinds of conversations that go on between jazz musicians during their improvisation. In the beginning, it might just sound like a lot of notes to the uneducated ear, with not much melody to hang upon. But with familiarity, with listening to the music over and over again, you'll start to hear the conversation and get a feel for the dynamic. You'll hear the musicians quoting each other, making jokes about other melodies, or even just deconstructing a lyric or rhythm. Now, for over 20 years, Aaron has played with two of his own trios. And although he's worked in many collaborations as a sideman with great jazz musicians such as Joshua Redman, Wynton Marsalis, Al Foster, and Betty Carter, I find his trios are the settings where his personality and voice shine brightest. One trio consists of the bass player Reuben Rogers and the drummer Eric Harland. Another trio, fittingly called the Ohm Trio, features Omar Avital on bass, Mark Moralta on drums, and Aaron again on piano. In my interview with Aaron, uh, he talked about the depth of connection that forms between jazz musicians when they've played together for years and years and years. And it's that level of connection and interpersonal knowing that facilitates the kind of expression and improvisation that is so charged and captivating for an audience. On one level, the improvising jazz musician has to be deeply receptive and open to everything that's happening in the moment so that they can respond to what's arising. But that sensitivity to the unfolding context demands a tremendous agility of self or of character that can at times step back and be deferential, leaving space for somebody else to come forward and say something. But also at times that self needs to be confident and commanding, stepping forward and taking charge and saying something important. Now, if the improviser is either too timid and afraid of taking up too much space, or too narcissistic and oblivious to context, then the musical conversation inevitably struggles and fails to communicate and transport the audience or the listener. And I've heard it said before that playing music engages more areas of the brain than any other activity. And I can only imagine that a jazz musician's improvisation engages more areas of the brain than even any other form of music. But if you take into consideration all the skills that come together in jazz improvisation, you have the mastery of the instrument, the mastery of time, the mastery of hearing and listening, and understanding of harmony and the ability to dialogue and spontaneously create conversation by listening and responding to each other. In my mind, it's jazz musicians like Aaron that are not just virtuosos of music, but rather are prime examples of a kind of broader human virtuosity. And personally, I'm always grateful for the infusion of inspiration that I receive from Aaron, or from seeing Aaron perform live with his trio, or listening to any of his albums, and for that matter, for the whole jazz tradition in general. And I hope that this short ode to Aaron will inspire you to check out his music. Talking about his music is nowhere nearly as satisfying as listening to his music. I'm going to share some links below this podcast on my website so you can find out where to purchase some of his music, either in Amazon or on iTunes. And in the show notes, I'll give you some of my favorite picks of his albums. But I'm also going to link to a YouTube of one of his trios performing Lombada de Serpente. It's a recording that took place in an old guitar store in New York City. And in the video, you'll see people walking by, you'll hear cars honking in the background. 
And in the very middle of everyday life, in the middle of the hustle and bustle of downtown Manhattan, Aaron and his trio, with Eric Harland in this case on drums and Mark Temin on bass, these musicians create a fresh conversation of sublime beauty, which is why I can think of no better piece of music and no better artist to showcase on this podcast dedicated to the everyday sublime. So thanks for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode where I introduce a new series of episodes on Chinese medicine. But for now, please enjoy the music of Aaron Goldberg. Thank you.